0: Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. Before we get started, let's pay some bills and hear from our presenting sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision podcast. I am your host, Colette Abdallah, and I'm joined today by a good friend of mine and a hardcore Giants fan, Jordan Teegman. What's going on, bud? How you doing?
1: Hey, Colette. How's
0: it going? Happy to be here. It's going well, man. So today's episode is about the top three biggest what-ifs in New York Giants history. So Jordan and I will be going through our top three. We tried not to overlap. There's going to be a little bit of overlap with some of them just because, you know, there's some big moments in recent Giants history. But we'll be talking about these what-ifs. We'll try to stick to kind of 50-50 coin flip type situations. And we'll talk about what the potential impact would have been had things gone the other way. So before we jump into the what ifs, Jordan, why don't you tell me why you became a Giants fan in the first place?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, I was kind of like born into it, um, come from a family that my dad, my grandpa, they've been going to game. My grandpa's been going to game since the 70s. My dad telling me stories about Lawrence Taylor. That was actually the first jersey I ever owned. Um, I had like a baby size Lawrence Taylor jersey. Um, My dad was at the NFC Championship against Washington in 86. Um, My grandfather and dad went to Tampa for the Super Bowl in 2000. Um, And actually, in Eli's first season as a Giant in 04, we got season tickets. So I'm 27, 04. I was eight. So I've had season tickets for almost 20 years now. Um, And I could probably count on one hand how many home games I've missed. Um, And on road games, it was always a big family event. Um, So very well versed on the history of the New York Giants, well versed on the franchise and, uh, you know, when approached about talking about it, happy to, happy to discuss and looking forward. For sure. I love stories
0: like that, man. It's just like when the, the fanhood is, it's not really a choice. It's just like a bloodline thing. Like it got passed down from your dad and his dad and you know, you guys have probably been fans of the team for as long as they've been around. I think they've been around I don't know, 100 years now or something. So yeah. you've got all the years covered. Yeah. For me, it was, uh, I just picked my team because I happened to be in the Bay Area and the Raiders were good when I was a kid. So no bloodline, no nothing. Just, you know, right. making the, the best team with the cool colors when I was, you know, in eighth grade or something. So thanks for the background. Let's jump right in. So. We'll go back and forth. We'll go, you know, one to three. So Jordan, why don't you tell me about your number one what if in Giants history?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I kind of alluded to it um, when I mentioned my, when I started season tickets in 2004 um, and that was Eli's rookie season. So I guess my history with the team and basically my entire life as a fan, especially in my formative years, all I knew was Eli as a quarterback. But if you go back in history and you look back at kind of how Eli became a giant, um, you know, he was the top rated prospect out of Ole Miss. Everyone knew he was going to be the number one pick. And the San Diego Chargers actually had the number one pick at the time. And his dad, Archie, kind of like was shoving him in the direction of you're not going to San Diego. Um, You know, you're playing anywhere else. Peyton at the time was already becoming. know who Peyton Manning ended up being and you know for Eli to make a name for himself they were kind of pushing him to to New York in a way and the Giants were picking number four um in that draft and they you know as some of you may know or may not know that 4 draft was loaded with QB talent right you got Eli you got Phil Rivers and you got Big Ben um all of whom presumably will be in the Hall of Fame at some point soon. Um, But the Giants had number four and picked Phillip Rivers, but then traded Rivers for Eli. So as we all know, his history kind of unfolded. They traded. Eli became a Giant, won two rings. Phillip Rivers put up great stats, Hall of Fame stats, Mm -hmm. but never won the big one. So I would say the biggest what if is – What if Eli never became a giant and what if he was never in New York, right? Like can rivers handle New York the way Eli did? Like, does Eli have rings in San Diego? Does rivers have rings in New York? Big topic. And, you know, yeah, I I guess I'm lucky that Eli was a giant.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I think about this quite a bit actually, because I think they're, they're a good case study in quarterback situation and like quarterback Clutchness, if that's a word, just because when I think of Phillip Rivers, I mean I'm a Raiders fan, so I used to see him twice a year for a long time. He would put up crazy numbers. And I think if you're talking about pure like regular season quarterback, you're probably taking Phil Rivers over Eli Manning just because of the numbers. You know, some of his his years were bonkers. But he was also known for making big mistakes in big moments. Like he always there's always the trademark, you know, he's down six with two minutes to go, and he throws a game-ending interception kind of thing. Or in the playoffs, he had some uh, choke-type moments where they fell short despite being you know, one of the better teams in the league. Whereas Eli was like, to me, feel like the complete opposite. You know, he had some decent regular seasons, but when it came to like, nut crunch time, he was the guy that, that you wanted because he was going to come up with some crazy play, like the helmet catch, which like we'll talk about a little bit later. And he just, he was clutch which is hard to define, but it's just something that you know it when you see it. So to me, I think Eli does take that to San Diego and they probably win at least one ring, but I don't think Phil Rivers is winning a ring in New York. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that with like River, the reason why I think that River's number one is he never really had like the infrastructure of the team in San Diego. Like the Giants... I wouldn't say I in in the playoff runs they probably won because of Eli, but they got there on a strong run game and a strong defense. Like they could have subbed Rivers in, and he probably would have fit in seamlessly. Um, But you know when it came down to it, like Eli's biggest games were you know think about that Super Bowl run, like going into frozen the frozen tundra in Lambeau in 07, or getting hit like 25 times in San Francisco in, in, in 11 in the championship game, um, the throw to Manningham, the throw to Tyree. Like, you know, I, I, like you said, I can't imagine Rivers kind of being, doing that in that game. Like his clutch history, like I think the one big game he played in, although he had a torn ACL in New mm-hmm. England in the championship game, like they didn't really stand a chance. So I honestly don't, I, I think that, I agree with you that Eli probably would have won wherever he was and it just came down to the clutch scene. And I'm not sure that, you know, I'd be sitting here as a fan of a team that had two rings in my, my, my years as a fan if, if Rivers mm-hmm. was the quarterback.
0: Yeah. And that infrastructure you talked about is, is a big reason why Archie wanted Eli not to go to San Diego and to go somewhere because he knew all about going to a losing franchise. I mean, he spent a lot of time in, in uh, New Orleans and they were awful back then. So he didn't want his kid to go through the same thing. And, you know, the thing with Rivers is he played with some Hall of Fame talents. I, I would say the skill guys that Rivers played with are light years ahead of anybody that, that uh, Eli played with. He had LT, who's the other LT, I should say, Ladanian Tomlinson, one of the best running backs of all time. Antonio Gates, one of the best tight ends of all time. Whereas I feel like Eli had like this rotating cast of guys. And there was like different skill guys that he was playing, you know, for each of his Super Bowls. So that's the thing is like Rivers had the tools at his disposal. And I think there was a couple years where they had top five defenses, but he just couldn't capitalize for that same reason. He just doesn't have that same clutch gene that that Eli did. So, yeah. I'm, but Eli, I mean, you, you put Eli with LaDainian Tomlinson and Antonio Gates. I mean, he's probably putting up numbers, too. Maybe he's, he's winning a Super Bowl down there, too. So right. uh, I think that that carries over. Um, anything
1: else on this one? um i mean no nah, i i feel like both of them will go to the hall of fame um eventually um eli's case would be a lot harder to make without the rings right just because like you said like rivers put up video game numbers mm-hmm. um and and eli's were not strong but comes down to the to the clutch scene, and that's really you know what defines quarterbacks then but what defines them now right like mm-hmm. you're looking at the afc this year even like there's a bunch of contending teams, but you know, at the end of the day, Mahomes is going to be there. Cause he's just, he's that guy. Like Brady's yeah. that guy. Like you got to put Eli in that conversation. He's, he's the guy you didn't want to face um, in big time games. Exactly. And he did it twice.
0: Right. And you can't tell the story of the NFL in the two thousands without Eli and those two rings. So I, I do think he gets in. I think Phil Rivers might have a harder case because he doesn't really have that, that, playoff success. You alluded to the one big game he had against, I think it was Indianapolis. It was a Michael Turner game. I think he rushed for like 200 yards or something. So I don't know. I'm not sure on Rivers. I think 100% Eli gets in, but uh, Rivers, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so my number one uh, is a little further back. So this is uh, referring to the, the Giants era in the 1990s when they were under Bill Parcells. So my question is, what if Bill Belichick ended up being the successor to Bill Parcells in 1991 instead of, you know, kind of going to Cleveland and then going to New England. And the Giants were pretty bad in the early 90s, you know, after that Parcells era. So, you know, after they won the Super Bowl in 1990, Bill Parcells left. And the GM at the time, George Young, didn't really like Bill Belichick. He kind of thought he was a little weird and he cussed too much, which is true. (laughs) He's a weird guy who probably cusses a lot. Uh, But eventually they name someone else as the successor to Bill Parcells and they go through some lean years while Bill Belichick goes on to, you know, lead one of the greatest dynasties of all time in New England. So my what if is, you know, what do you think happens if Bill Belichick ends up in New York? Does he stay there long enough to, you know, be able to build up another dynasty? And is he the same type of, you know, all time great GOAT level coach in, in New York?
1: Yeah, so I I think the answer to that question kinda comes down to like we were talking before with Eli and Rivers. Like it comes down to personality. Like I know you're from the Bay Area, but I'm sure you're familiar with what it takes in a big market being in New York. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's something to the fact that Belichick thrived in New England. Like in although it is Boston, it's kinda like when they took over, the paths were kinda like second or third fiddle to the Sox and to the, to the Celtics. And he kind of was the Bruins,
0: they might've been fourth fiddle in that yeah, time, at that, at that time at least.
1: Yeah. yeah. And like, he was kind of able to create this dynasty, you know, at least in the formative years, like a little more quietly. Um, like to make it in New York, you gotta be a certain type of player, certain type of coach. You gotta be able to take a lot. You know, he lasted about three days in New York. Um, I think even less, like the 24 jets, hours. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, with that famous situation with the Jets. Um, and, you know, from what we've seen through the last, I guess, 25 years with Belichick, he's definitely not exactly the friendliest guy with the media, doesn't have the most patience in the world. Um, and to make it here, you really got to be a man of the people, like even, even, like recent, like just looking at Dayball, like he's just like a a friendly teddy bear. Like media loves him, and I I want to say he's been successful in New York because last year was great. This year is kind of like a mini disaster. Like a year from think, hell, yeah, yeah. I think he he'll survive it. But for Belichick, I think it's he doesn't have the the brashness, the personality that a Parcells had or a Coughlin had, where he kind of lays down the law. He's like more mild mannered a little bit, or. To himself, and I think that that would have, you know, he thrived as a defensive coordinator, and the guys like Banks and Carson and LT, they all they all loved him. But the head coach is a different animal than the defensive coordinator, and I think it would have kind of mixed it up if he if he started as a head coach, and mm-hmm. you know, not not sure it would have became a dynasty in New York, but then definitely probably would not have Robert Kraft would not have seen anything in him to hire him for the Patriots and the dynasty that we know of as the Patriots. been.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the the key point that you brought up was the personality. I, I think that uh I don't know if the New York media would have given him the time to build things up uh in New York the way that he got time in, in New England. Because like we said, I mean, the Patriots now, they're elite franchise, all the stuff, six rings, but back then, third, maybe fourth fiddle, people didn't really care about the Pats. They even I want to say they were going to move to Hartford at some point or they were going to move somewhere else. So it got to the point where people just because they never won. People didn't care about the Patriots. So they kind of flew under the radar, even though they were in this, you know, one of the biggest media markets in the country. So I don't know if he gets the same patience in, in New York. But I do think what he did in what I feel he did in New England was kind of take that that Bill Parcells identity and those Giants teams of being super tough and disciplined and defense focused. I think all of that would have carried on and he would have just been able to continue that in New York. And then obviously the question mark is if he gets the quarterback that he needs. So that that's the right. kind of what if on top of the other what if, is if he gets the quarterback that he needed, then yeah, I think he's successful in New York uh, or really successful in New York. But even without that, I think he would have been competitive at least just because He's just a defensive genius, and that part, at least on that side of the ball, would have been taken care of. But obviously, you know he doesn't get Brady, so it, he's not.
1: Yeah, maybe the, not the, the goat. got but... to shift on him, right? Because yeah. you're looking at the Pats now. The whole thing was like, were they a dynasty? Was Belichick great because of Brady, or was Brady great because of Belichick? Right? Like you have. I know this isn't a Patriots podcast, but mm-hmm. you have that one season where Brady blows out his knee and Matt Castle make takes them to 11 and five and you're like all right belichick's a genius like it's all the system mm-hmm. but brady leaves to tampa the pats haven't made the playoffs since and you know it's kind of all unraveling like i even saw reports that belichick's leaving and going to the chargers next year or something like that oh, wow. so you know the the story for belichick you know i feel like the end of his career is gonna be like was he great because of brady and i guess we'll never know like, that's a great what if mm-hmm. we'll never know yeah, and actually, I,
0: we plan to cover that at some point, me and my co-host. We're going to do a uh, Death of the Patriot Way podcast just because, you know, for better or worse, uh, it's over. The the Patriot Way as yeah, we know it, sure. It it's ending, you know, in New England if Bill Belichick leaves. And it's ended in Oakland or in Las Vegas because Josh McDaniels got fired. He's probably never going to get another job. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting what if that you can dig deep. And there's a lot of layers about who was ultimately responsible for what. I think just like, my elevator, you know, pitch about it is it was symbiotic. One was great because the other was great, and they just kind yeah. of pushed each other to greatness. And you know, they ended up breaking up because they couldn't they, they couldn't sustain the relationship much longer. But I think they just they pushed each other to greatness essentially. For sure. So, what is your number two? What if yeah, in so, science so
1: Number number two, staying in that same era that number one was. Um, so, oh seven. Everyone knows the 18-1, and one, the biggest Super Bowl upset of all time. Giants are defending champs. And in 08, they come out of the gates blazing hot. Um, they're 10-1. and one. And I was actually – I remember exactly where I was. It was Thanksgiving weekend. Um, and the day before a massive game against Philly, I believe it was, um, news comes out that Plaxico Burris shot himself. And – He's injured, um, but not only is he injured, you know, he went to jail for for Mm -hmm. two years. um, And Plax was the guy on on the 07 team on offense, like that game against Green Bay in the NFC championship was probably the best game I've ever seen any giant receiver play. Um, Literally tore up Al Harris um, and, you know, they're 10 and 1. He's having an awesome back-to-back year and all of a sudden... Um, shoots himself. The Giants stumble. They eventually got the one seed just because of their hot start, but they got to buy. They have a home game against their against the Eagles, who they're arguably their biggest rival. And uh, McNabb does the moonwalk um, after he scored, and and they lose. And you know, then they basically they. I don't think they made the playoffs again after that season until. The eleven season where they when mm-hmm. they won the Super Bowl, so there's a bunch of kind of ripple effects from that. Like number one, they were ten and one. Like who's to say they're not going to repeat? Right? They definitely thought they would beat. And Coughlin's even on record saying that that was the best team that he ever coached. Um, and he won two rings and he had that Jacksonville team that made the NFC Championship. But he said the '08 Giants were the best team he ever coached. Um, I look back actually and they beat all four of the teams that made the conference championship that year. They beat Pittsburgh, they beat Baltimore, they beat Arizona and they beat Philly with plaques. Um, And then you think about like, what are the resumes of all these guys? If they win in 07, they win in 08 and they win in 11, right? Like does Justin Tuck become a hall of famer? Does OC become a hall of famer? Like those guys now have three rings they anchored the defense like Antonio Pierce, right. He's in the news now because of what he's doing as a coach, but um, he was the captain of the defense in, in 07. Um, you know, he could have been a two-time champ. Um, Coughlin's a th- no doubt Hall of Famer. To me, it's insane that he's not already in on his two, but then with his third ring, he's a no-doubter. Eli's a no-doubter. Like that 08 season could be major mm-hmm. and, we're talk. We just spoke about the Patriots and their dynasty. Like, how yeah. could you not talk about the Giants as a dynasty if there's three rings in five years? Like, that's almost unheard of in football these days. That's um, a dynasty. Yeah, that's that's for sure a dynasty. So the ripple effect of that one incident, I think it's easy to pinpoint that. That's a major changing turning point in Giants history.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I. I don't remember exactly. I don't remember where I was or anything like that. I do remember. Hearing the story that for some reason he was in a club with the, the gun tucked into the waistband of his sweatpants, it wasn't even like a, in a holster or something, and it slipped out and shot him. And you mentioned Antonio Pierce. Apparently, I didn't know this until like last week, but I guess Antonio Pierce drove him to the hospital, yeah, and hit yeah. the <laughs> and hit I the remember. gun for him. So he's yeah. a true like ride or die guy. Uh, makes me like him more, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I think the the ripple effects were clear. You pointed them all out. I do think. Uh, if they do have Plaxico, they do have a good shot at repeating. I know people say it's hard to defend a title, but I think there's also the motivation of wanting to prove it's not a fluke. Because I think the year before they were like what nine and seven, and they get yeah, into they the stumbled playoffs
1: in like the last wild card. I think. Yeah,
0: exactly. So they have now they have the confidence of all right, we did this before. We want to prove everybody wrong who said it was a fluke, and we're going to do it again. And you talked about Coughlin and Eli being Hall of Famers, but you know, I think maybe Plaxico Burris too. I mean, you look at his resume, you're like, all right, 8,500 yards, a Super Bowl ring, but he shot himself when he was 31. So, you know, maybe he has three, four years at the top without this, you know, the the legal issues and all this stuff. So I think uh, it's a pretty clear what if that I think they do become the favorites that year or they continue to be the favorites that year if Plaxico's not hurt. And I think his career, of course, you know, ends up very differently and maybe he's in the hall of fame. I do think Coughlin is going to get in. I, usually if you have two super bowls as a head coach, they don't, they don't keep you out. Maybe they make you wait a while. Like I think Tom Flores, they made him wait for a long time, but for the most part, if you have two, they usually get you in. And we talked about Eli, he's, he's probably going to get in too. So yeah. that's a great one. Um, anything else on this one?
1: Um, I mean, not to me. I just, I wish it never, all these things I wish never happened, but you know, I love, <laughs> I love the fact of, wondering what if because I feel like every fan of every team feels like their teams are cursed. Like that just mm-hmm. that's just a right of being <laughs> a sports fan. Like I could go on and on about like why my teams are, are cursed, but I remember specifically being like feeling like the Giants got robbed of of another opportunity to go for it. And mm-hmm. you know, sitting here all these years later, they haven't been <laughs> they haven't been good yeah. for the last ten years plus and would have been
0: nice to have a third ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because one guy made a stupid decision, don't know the the ripple effects of that. Yeah. Um, so my, my number two is kind of related to Plaxico, and again, we'll stay in that era as well. And it's what if David Tyree doesn't make the helmet catch? So let's set the stage here. the The Patriots uh, are eighteen and zero. They're in this Super Bowl against the uh, Wild Card Giants, who have uh, not a great defense during the regular season, but all of a sudden it becomes like the 85 Bears with that D-line and everything. And uh, they're driving late against the Patriots. They're down 14-10. There's about a minute and 15 left in the game. The Giants have third and five or third and six or something from midfield. We all know the play. Eli drops back. He looks like he's sacked. He pops out of nowhere, throws up a prayer. And David Tyree, who I read, I think had like Three catches or something, some some really small number. I'm gonna pull it up real quick, but let's see. He had, I had it up. I'll edit this out. But in the regular season, he had four catches for 35 yards. <laughs> and in <laughs> this game, just like we've seen many times before, guys become heroes in the Super Bowl, and he catches the first touchdown, and then he makes this helmet catch which ends up setting up that Plexco burst touchdown in the corner of the end zone. The Giants win 17-14, and that's the first Super Bowl for Eli Manning. And I think the big what if is if David Tyree doesn't make that catch, they still have fourth down. But obviously, you know, fourth and 15 or whatever it was because he was going to get sacked for quite a few yards is really different than third and five. So I think if he doesn't make that catch, they're not winning the Super Bowl that year. And I don't think they win the second Super Bowl a few years later because they're facing the same opponent. And in their minds, it makes it real easy. They're like, we, we kicked these guys' ass before when they were 18-0. We could do it again when they're you know not, not quite as good. So I think without that catch, we don't get the first Super Bowl and we don't get the second Super Bowl. And obviously, everyone's legacy is is very different coming out of this game. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so, so before I get into that, There's actually a great story about Tyree specifically in the buildup to that game. So I remember reading about, I remember reading about this. Um, It was like Wednesday in the practice before the Super Bowl in Arizona and Tyree literally couldn't catch a ball. Like he was, he was having the worst practice of his life and Eli went over to him and said, you know, you gotta be ready. Like Sunday's your day. Like you're, you're, it's going to be your day. And not only did he make the helmet catch, he also had the, the only other touchdown in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's just back to Eli for a little bit. Like, that's just the type of leader that he was. Like, he wasn't the bolsterous guy who was going to make some crazy comments in the media. He was always mild-mannered, but his teammates loved him and respected him because he was a leader. And that really, you know, if the we're talking what if, like, what if Eli never did that? Like, does Tyree mm-hmm. have the confidence to show up on Sunday and make those plays and do that? um after his know,
0: three catches in the regular season yeah, yeah. He, he
1: was a nobody like i obviously i'm a die hard fan i barely knew david tyree um became a legend i remember watching the game and like essentially accepting the fact that eli got sacked and it was over and being proud of the fact that they fought that whole game because the patriots were a juggernaut but like all right we tried didn't make it and then i see him getting out of the grasp like that's got to be the best Viewing moment of my sporting life, but but in terms of like the what if, so of course, all the things you said, but on a bigger scale, like we're never talking about the 72 Dolphins anymore, like Patriots (laughs) Patriots 19 and oh, like that to me is the biggest one. Like, with 100% certainty, I can say that if Tyree does not make that catch, that game is over, Pats are 19 and oh, everyone's talking about it, um, and you know the I don't know if I if I can agree with the eleven part because I think the teams were a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, back, you know, seven versus eleven at least on the Giants front. Um, but still, you know, the one ring with with Eli and Coughlin even like what we what we've been talking about the theme like about the resume and Hall of Fame I don't think they get there with one like the no. difference between yeah. one and two is major. So, um, you know, it's not appropriately to say that that the catch changed the direction of people's entire career
0: yeah the legacy nfl legacy like with the patriots like you said 19 and 0 no more 72 dolphins Uh, and as a patriots hater i was rooting very very hard for the giants in that that moment i do remember watching that play i remember the play before he almost threw the interception to sante samuel on the sideline and you know it was just such a Insane playoff Super Bowl moment where you know it's one of those things people call it one of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history. I think there's a lot of competition for that, but it's probably the greatest catch in Super Bowl history. I think we can yeah. say just because how unlikely it was, how difficult it was. And to I remember, right? Like the whole, exactly. the whole thing is that, yeah. like,
1: um, all I wish is that if I wasn't 12 years old, I definitely would have had Giants money line like plus a thousand <laughs> in that game. Um, just as a fan, I feel like it's my duty to take them. But um, were they double digit dogs in that one? They were fourteen and a half points. That the spread was fourteen and a half. Wow. Okay. Um, so I probably would have take put a few bucks on the money line and pray for it. But uh, again, <laughs> I mean, it's I like
0: uh, it it, it kind of came full circle because the Patriots. I remember. I mean, I was a kid back then, but uh, you know, in their first Super Bowl in '01 or whatever, they were. 13 or 14 point dogs to the Rams and yeah, of course ended okay. up winning. So yeah, it, it's crazy sometimes. Yeah, these things come full circle and they they got punched in the mouth just like they punched some the Rams in the mouth. So yeah, if he doesn't make that catch, we're having a very different conversation about Eli and Tom even if they do win that other Super Bowl because one Super Bowl is like, okay, sure, maybe you caught lightning in a bottle, you caught some breaks, things went your way, you still won it, which is great, you know, kudos to you, but it's not like a a legacy thing versus winning two. It's like you did it once, like I'm going to do it again. And you prove that you are among the elite of all time. So yeah, that's a big one. Uh, Yeah. So what is your number three?
1: So my number three, we keep going in this 07 team. And I felt like consistent going with that era because that is really a monster year in giants history. And at least for me as a fan, you know, I dating back, I don't date as far back. Like, born in 96. So uh, I was four years old when they lost in, in the Super Bowl in 2000. But, you know, these 07-11 teams are really when I started, f- like, really knowing what was going on and knowing how to follow the sport. And looking back, there were a lot of stuff that you could take from that. And what I remember was um, in week 17, actually, of, of the 2007 season, the Giants hosted the Patriots, who were 15-0 and at the time, or he... Yeah, it used to be 16 games. So they were 15 yep. and 0 the last week. The I remember segment. that very clearly. Yeah. Um, and the Giants in week 16, they demolished Buffalo in Buffalo and they clinched a wild card spot. So the conversation leading up to that week was all right, rest the starters. They were playing Tampa in the wild card game, like play the backups, get everyone healthy. And Coughlin was like, nah, man, screw that. We're going mm-hmm. full throttle, playing everyone four quarters. And we're going to see how we measure up. And they absolutely blitzed them in the first half. I think they were winning by like 14 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Randy Moss ended up – I remember he had a breakaway touchdown on Jabril Wilson. um, And the Pats ended up winning 38-35 in an epic game. That meant literally nothing for the Giants. But for me, why I think that that's a what-if that changed everything because that was kind of like the buildup for – that 07 game that we keep talking about Mm -hmm. like they knew we can measure up with these guys we can play with them like and if koffer never plays the starters in that game right he could have easily just taken the route of let's rest them you you never have that ability they have the tape now like they had a lot of stuff that was allowing them to build momentum into the super Mm -hmm. bowl and know that even though on paper these guys are giant like Quote unquote, giants and their and yeah, yeah. beasts, um, you know, we we can still play with them and, and maybe even beat them. So who knows what happens if they don't have that game plan from the week 17 game if they went to the conventional route and just rested the starters. So I think that that's a massive point.
0: Has that like colored your opinion on this forever? Like you have to play your starters, in, even if it's a meaningless game?
1: I think as a football fan, not even a Giants fan, like. If you look at history, I feel like the success rate of those who rest their player, like we we speak Patriots a lot, mm-hmm. that Brady never rested, even even if it's one half, always played that one half in that meaning meaning list week seventeen game. Um, you know they had a lot the of the flip those. <laughs> side of that of that zero eight run was where the Cowboys they were the one seed, and famously you had Romo on vacation with Jessica Simpson, and he's he's vacationing missing missing wildcard week and then all of a sudden they lose right there are so many more examples of not showing up in those games because you're not fresh like especially at the end of the season like everyone's bumped everyone's bruised like it kind of sinks in more if you're resting like instead of Mm -hmm. going full throttle um so i'm always of the opinion like granted i haven't really had that as a fan of the giants recently where (laughs) they have the debate whether or not to rest but if they did I always err on the side of play them even if for a little bit keep them going keep the momentum going um because you know the flip side is the alternative is is, doesn't seem like it works
0: yeah I mean I'm with you I think it's more uh, a mental thing than a physical thing because you always want that bye week but during that bye week you know in the playoffs. You're not thinking, oh, you know, we should be playing right now, but I'm going to take it easy. It's like, no, like we kicked everybody's ass. We earned this. So we're going to stay sharp, stay focused, all that. But if you are coming into that week 16, 17, 18 game, whatever, and it's meaningless, you know, unless you're carrying some kind of like injury risk or something, I think you should play at least a half and just stay mentally sharp. I think more than physically sharp, which is, you know, we saw it play out here, uh, and yeah, I do think it's, it's a pretty clear what if, if he doesn't do that, if he does rest his starters or doesn't play the whole game, you know, I, I don't think they beat them in, in, uh, in the Super Bowl because they don't have that mental edge. And I'm sure all, you know, the two weeks leading up to, to the game, I'm sure, you know, Coughlin was probably playing like, here are the three or four plays that cost us this game. And we could have beat them had these gone our way, we're better than these guys, or we're as good. Don't we don't care about 17 and 0 or whatever. We're better than these guys and we can match up with them. And without all that, I think it it's pretty clear that that they don't win that game. So, anything else here?
1: Um, no. I think I think we covered it. All right.
0: So, I feel like I'm the one going back in history <laughs> a little more than you, but um uh, mine is what if Scott Norwood doesn't miss the famous wide right kick. So, this is back in 1991, Super Bowl 25, they're facing the uh, Bills in their first Super Bowl. They have the famous uh, triplets, you know, Jim Kelly and Andre Reid and Thurman Thomas. They have a bunch of Hall of Famers on defense. The Giants have plenty of talent as well. But it basically comes down to about a 45-yard kick, I think. And growing up, I always thought Scott Norwood was like this amazing kicker, and he missed the field goal just because, you know, he couldn't handle the moment. But I read, you know, as part of my research here is that he was like one for five on natural grass outside of 40 yards. So it was like, you know, because the Bills used to play on AstroTurf back then. So part of me is like, why didn't they just go for it (laughs) on fourth down there uh, instead of kicking, you know, a 45, 47 yard field goal, whatever. But essentially, if Scott Norwood does make this kick, then the Bills win the game. Bill Parcells only has one ring instead of two. This, the Bills, I think they shake off their curse label because you get that one Super Bowl, and I think the rest of their history is different. Even leading up to today, we still talk about the Bills being cursed in 13 seconds with the Chiefs, all that stuff. But the big question is, we talked about Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning with one ring. What about Bill Parcells? Is he still a Hall of Famer with just one ring if Scott Norwood makes that kick?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's the same exact conversation. Like one's a fluke, two is elite. You've done it. So, you know, to, that's a no. <laughs> well, no, I, I, the body of work for Parcells is probably a little bit deeper than it is for Coughlin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think it's definitely more of an argument than it already Like, you know, does he then become the legend with the, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Cowboys? He definitely has, you know, success everywhere he's gone, but it's more of a conversation for sure. I still think he gets in. Um, yeah. But again, one versus two is a big deal, right? Brad Johnson and Trent Dilfer each have one.
0: There you go. There you go. Sean McVay has one. What other coach? I'm sure there's some other coaches that are like, meh, but they still have a Super Bowl. So yeah, I mean, I think he probably still gets in just because like you said, the body of work is deeper and he's you know, a lot more accomplished than some of these other guys with other teams. But I do think the bigger what if is like the Bills becoming maybe a dynasty because they they get that first one. Um, And of course, you know, the Giants, they get one less Super Bowl, which is a big deal. So I think that that was a big one. Um, Do you have any honorable mention types, anything that just comes to mind or something else you thought of that wasn't good enough for the top three?
1: Yeah, so I I know I got, I already heard about not going deep enough in history and in my defense in 91, I was still not around. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hear you. the stories <laughs> from the lore. Um, and, and I, you know, those 80s, the 80s teams are like built in, like what the New York Giants are. Like you watch the highlights, like freezing cold games, LT chasing down guys, you know, the Joe Theismann hit. You know, I've seen that a bunch of times. Um, but I think an honorable mention that's consistent with teams in that, 07 to like 13 era that could have gone um, is if you remember in 2012, so defending the 11 ring, Giants once again were pretty good. Um, and they had a massive divisional game against the Eagles at home, um, where if they won, they would have taken a one game lead with three games to go in the NFC East. Um, they're up like 35 14, and Vic and Deshaun Jackson just went off in the fourth quarter. Mm. Tie game. Giants drop back to punt, just should be oh, a formality. This yes, <laughs> Overtime, and we got Matt Dodge. Matt Dodge uh, punts it inbounds. You see Coughlin steaming red. Um, Deshaun Jackson takes it to the house. Game over and essentially season over, and they don't bounce back for another six years back to the playoffs. So if Matt... I mean, yes, of course, it's not Matt Dodge's fault that the Giants blew a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter. But if he kicks that ball out of bounds, at least you got overtime. You got a coin toss. We win the coin toss. You know Eli's clutching. He's driving us down Mm -hmm. the field. We win that game, and then we got another chance to repeat. So, you know, what if Dodge doesn't punt that ball right to Sean Jackson? Mm -hmm.
0: That's a great one. So you've given me, like, two Giants fan-only nuggets in this pod like the David Tyree Eli uh moment in practice I had no idea about that and of course I remember this moment cuz it's uh it's replayed a lot with the Deshaun Jackson return uh during that year I didn't realize the the impact that it had on like the playoff race and all that
1: yeah and end of the season
0: yeah I I just I remember that that era of Giants football being just just weird like they just you know if they weren't the underdogs if they weren't the wild card team they would just fall short, whether they're like losing to Green Bay, uh, you know, after the the what was it, the the boat picture that they yep. took or like, like they all couldn't you know, <laughs> you know, wearing Tim's on a boat for some reason. Uh yeah, and they just when they were the favorite, they just kind of fell apart, but they had those two magical runs against the Patriots, which I'm forever grateful for as a, a Patriots hater. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for your knowledge. You're obviously a a hardcore fan. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. That's it for the show. Uh, Make sure to follow us. uh, Leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And make sure to check us out on all the social media channels at 4040 Vision Pod. Any last words, Jordan?
1: No, thanks for having me. It was a blast. And uh, maybe we could do it again sometime.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Thanks, everybody.